Easter and in Christendom, this is the time. December becomes a time. And so we started talking about that here in our community. If you were with us and if you weren't, we reminded our community of believers that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was when he came in the flesh. But that God's desire to be with us has been the reason for creation. And so this one blip, and to call Jesus a blip is sacrilegious, so I rebuke it right now. But that story of Jesus, which changes everything about our understanding of faith and everything about our life, is one moment in time of God's infinite desire, his cosmic timeline of desire to be with us. Just a small recap for our conversation starting in December. Finally, Emmanuel. Finally, baby Jesus. One detail of our story. Because it goes back to when the exodus happened and God had his chosen people and he told them, bring me your best, your gold, your silver, your bronze, your fancy yarn, your purple fine linen. Bring me your best because what is going to be happening now as I have dedicated you as my chosen people is that you're going to bring me all that you have and I am going to dwell among you. To bring an offering to God so that his presence could be in their lives. We talked about this in December. Oftentimes we give our tithes and then whatever leftovers we give our offering. And if we go back to Exodus when, when we've decided to see God dwelling in his people, it was clear that he did not ask for the leftovers. He did not ask for what we could scrounge up and give back. God said, give me your best. And so what that looks like in our lives is often a little discombobulated because if I have enough time after work, after home, after all of the things that need to get done so that my life continues to run, maybe I'll consider volunteering in a ministry. Maybe I'll consider participating in a ministry. God has said, give me your best, and if your heart wants to respond, you will give an offering. If your heart is in tune with me, if you have any desire for me, you will give me your best. Not our leftovers. We're being drawn back to a biblical understanding of offering. We say it enough times, and I think some people in the beginning were like, oh, they're going to do a money appeal. Maybe because oftentimes we have such a hard time releasing our hands. Maybe that's the thing that has been controlling us, and that is the, the way, the method, and the vehicle in which we need to start releasing and giving and bringing our best an expression of what our heart says God is to us, who God is to us. Bring me an offering so that we can make a sanctuary so that I can dwell among you. 
And for the Israelites, as they start to understand this God who is over them and ruling them, but giving them love and giving them grace and giving them blessing, this is a turning of the ages for that community. I recently had a birthday a few weeks ago, and this turning of the ages for me has been made clear by what society says my life should look like at this point in time. My grandmother has made it clear about what my life should look like in this time. I tell my parents, I can give them a child. It's really easy if you just want anybody, right? Our society has said certain things about what our life should look like, what time should look like. And for the Israelites, when they understand giving offering and when they understand God dwelling among them, they're giving their best and uprooting and changing their lives. This year, my friends, I think it's time that we lean into this concept, lean into this season. It is going to be a turning of ages for the Bonita community. We have been encouraged to be biblically awakened in 2019. As we looked in December at the Christmas story and, and then linked that back to God always wanting to dwell in and among and with and through us. As we meet all the people who anticipate the Christ child, we know that the wise men were able to give their gifts to give an offering, to worship in that space with baby Jesus because they had been biblically awakened, because they had been stewards and students of Scripture. They knew what their life needed to look like in the waiting as they looked for the markers of the Messiah. We're going to look at two different people today who were also students of the word, who were biblically awakened, who understood what it means to sit there and comb through scripture, to not just read it and know what it says, to be able to quote it, but to be able to live it. Connected to the baby Jesus story in Luke, I will invite you to open up a Bible in your pews, on your apps, share with a friend, who, whatever, whatever way you need to. Luke chapter 2, Simeon and Anna. We will start Luke 2, verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Baby Jesus is born, and he needs to go to the temple a few days, just, just over a week. He needs to be brought to the temple to be dedicated. And we know that firstborns, Mothers who have just birthed, birthed their children, and we know from the Leviticus, um, the Levitical law in the book of Leviticus, women who have anything to do with blood at any point in the month are unclean, don't touch anything, don't talk to anybody. And so if we've been birthing a baby, 
We know that there's probably a little bit of that involved. And so she needs to go so that she can be purified. In this whole beautiful ceremony of what it means to have children, bring your baby so that they can be dedicated. Give them to the Lord. We practice that here in our community. Let's dedicate our children. But let's also understand that it is the responsibility of of the father in this household to bring the wife, the mother, so that this, as a family, we can go through this thing where we are purified according to the law that Moses had been given, the law that said, give me your best, give me your offering so that I can dwell among you. They bring him to Jerusalem and present him to the Lord as it is written in the law. They offered a sacrifice according to what was stated of the Lord's law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If you go back to Leviticus where it shows you what this ritual looks like, the wealthier people gave four-legged animals. The poorer people gave birds. And so as we understand the humanity of Jesus and what is divine about him is that he is born into this basic Nothing family. They gave birds. They gave birds. This is our Jesus. Humble at birth. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Some of your Bibles might say just and devout. Looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. So this man named Simeon righteous and devout, if your Bible translation says just, there is a handful of moments, there are a handful of moments in the Bible where when they use this word just, they now reference a context of justice that is found in Micah. You all know the Micah 6, 8. We're talking about justice, love, and mercy. And the context for that conversation is interesting to me. Because in that conversation, they're saying, here are our firstborns. Here are all the goats, all the lambs, all of the animals we can sacrifice to you, God. We are bringing it all. Let's have tens and thousands of them. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, it's required. But it is not just about the amount of animals you can give me. Justice, love, and mercy. Live this thing that I am trying to convey to you. And so as we, as we set it up this way, this is not just here's the ritual, here it is. It is beautiful that we are now drawing back on a conversation that God has had earlier with his people. What does it look like to have this relationship, me among you, and have you bring your best and have me dwell in that Looking forward to the consolation of Israel. This marker means that Simeon is one of the few who have this consolation of of Israel, meaning I am awaiting the Messiah. I have studied scripture and I know he is coming, just like the wise men. As we have been studying all of December, we have been looking at prophecy that has allowed us to stand on the hope of Jesus Christ. This marker of having the consolation of Israel puts Simeon on a short list of people who have been considered righteous and devout. We can list them. It's like less than 10. So this Simeon that we talk about, who is a leader, who is a student of the word, 
who is just and righteous as we go back to these conversations as Jesus is born into the world. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Amen. I want that promise. I will not die until I see Jesus. That is a beautiful and a powerful. And can you imagine to be the person that got that promise? You will not die until you see the Lord. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. Fulfillment had happened. He knew because of the prophecy, because of his study, and because of his anticipation Here is the Lord, baby Jesus. Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Imagine seeing a baby, and I know you as parents, when you you have your newborn child, and I can imagine because I've seen newborns born into my family. My family is one of the highest values in my life. And when I see these little additions, I'm like, oh, the world stops for just a moment. And I can imagine my cousins, my aunts, you know, all of those who have birthed their babies. When you look into the face of a child, something happens. And when it's yours. And so Simeon gets to see a baby walk in, scoop it up, and say, I have seen salvation. So let alone get that promise that you will not die until you see baby Jesus. Simeon gets to see a baby walk in and just go in and scoop it up. It's brilliant. And this is what happens when you are a student of the word, when you watch it be fulfilled as you wait in expectation. The light of the world that we know that Jesus will claim to be, that Isaiah has prophesied, the glory to your people of Israel, how Israel has always been linked to this word glory. So verse 33, and the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that, in, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus will later say, I am the rock on which the church is built. Fall on the rock so that the pieces may be lifted up. And that this sword that pierces our soul like Jesus was pierced at his side as his mother watched. Simeon is conveying this blessing and this prayer to a couple with a baby, a peasant couple with a baby. Affirming and confirming what they had known in their experience with the angels and with God himself. And so they were astounded. They were amazed. This foretelling of the passion and all of the things. So we get prophecy that leads us here to this place, and then we get more prophecy the second that he's born. According to the law, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. But when we get there, our interactions with Christ are because those who have 
been studying and students of the word, they get to see him a little bit differently. They get to claim this child because they have been biblically awakened. So in our times where we here have experienced Christ, whether it is in those moments of walking and by yourself and in nature, if it's in your moments of prayer, if it's in your moments of community, is this your reaction when, when you see Jesus acting in your life? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, all Israel. Because when I have Jesus moments in my life as I'm going, as my faith is activated and I, I keep moving on, I don't say, I've seen your salvation. I'm being honest with you, I say, that's God and that's amazing. But do I proclaim this for all people or do I allow this to be my Jesus moment that I had this week? this day. We continue in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. What a nice way to say she's old. Having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple but worshiped there, fasting and praying night and day. At the moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This other prophet, to be called a prophet. So you have Simeon, who has been a student of the word, and then you have this prophetess who is listed under the devout people who have been studying scripture. She is able to understand who walks in the door just in that moment. Awaiting the king, everybody else is looking for a baby who's, be, who's going to be coming with tons of lambs, goats, and all the four-leggeds because a king is coming. But the students of the word, those who are biblically awakened, they know that even though a mother, a father, and some pigeons come through the door, here is the Messiah. As we have been having a conversation about prophecy, about sanctuary, and about how we can get to these spaces, what it means to bring your best, what it means to have God dwell among us, Simeon and Anna have the consolation of Israel in their midst looking for the Messiah, having a messianic hope. It's a turning of ages once baby Jesus is born because now they have ushered in something new, grand, and amazing. Jesus creates a turning of the ages for society. Two witnesses, two people who are spiritually awake and aware enough to encounter and to experience him. When you encounter Jesus, does the peace that washes over Simeon wash over you? Or is Jesus just a nice accessory? A thing that you put on the back shelf that you might not even access all the time? Is he sitting idle on the back burner while you live your life? And, and there when it's convenient to claim a Christ moment? 
Last week, we continued our conversation about the sanctuary and, and who we are as God's people. William Miller, 1844. All of these things that have been happened in our denominational history, which lead to the formation of our faith today, started because people were biblically awakened. 150 years ago, they didn't see Jesus coming on the clouds. Something happened, and so they had to turn back to Scripture. And because of that, this is why we are here. Because of this religious and historical event, the great disappointment led us back to be thinkers, to be studiers, to be students of the Word. It was a turning of the ages for the 1800s, and now you and I get to sit in these pews and call ourselves Adventist Christians. There's a series that both the young and free and the youth are going through right now, and it's called Letters to the Church. We watch some videos, we have some thought-provoking questions, but the essence of this is to talk about the role of the church in our lives and our role in the lives of the church. It gets challenging, and there are concepts that, that get our, our wheels turning. But have you ever asked yourself, and I'm sure you have, but recently, what is the point of church in your life today? Why are you here right now? Because if it's your generations of Adventism that brought you here on a Saturday, and you're not here to bring your best and to have God dwell among you, then you better be listening the next few weeks. We have been having conversations about what it looks like to create a church community that is meaningful. This has been an ongoing conversation here at Bonita for the past few years. We are claiming being a new church for a new future. You look at your bulletins and you see this new language. We believe that worship is life, that it takes everybody to make a church family work. That because this is our view of worship, of God, of people, then we deeply connect in a way where we want to sacrifice for each other. If you ask me for $20, would I give it to you? I don't know. But is that a testament of our relationship? And if we can't be doing that in our church spaces, then what are we doing? So this new church for a new future built on worship being life because it is an expression of our heart about who God is in our life. We bring our best. So it, it feels a little out here right now. So I'm going to just pause really quickly and I'm going to invite you to turn to a neighbor right now and just smile at them. Like, I love you. Welcome. Here you are. Happy Sabbath. Whatever that is. An infusion of love and energy. Because if you cannot be happy in a space where we're hoping we can encounter Christ, then you're not going to be happy out there where he's absolutely harder to find. So when I say, what is the point of the church? Adventists have such good muscle memory. Such good muscle memory. We have an automatic answer ready. We know what we're supposed to say. We're the hands and the feet of Christ. 
We know it. Like, I swear I came out the womb and that was the, my first words. That's, that's not true. It was like food or something, I know. What is the function of the body of Christ, though? Because if we, don't, if we know I'm a hand, we know I'm a foot, we know I'm a finger, whatever we are, what is our function as we move this body into the world? Our series has challenged us to think that the church is to show me what I cannot see. Because your function and your gifts and your abilities will enrich my life. That's why it takes everybody. Because there will be things that just because of who I am, I cannot see or access. But because we are a part of the same body doing this together, we will experience and know things that I can't see. Whether it's the blessings that I'm not opening my eyes to or the pride that is in the way of me experiencing Christ. Our series as a whole had a session on pride and humility because church communities can't exist authentically if we're always struggling with this idea of pride or if we're struggling with the idea to be humble. Our series challenged us to think of pride in a way that says pride is like bad breath. You're the only one that doesn't know you have it. But are we sitting in a church community where nobody's going to tell you that there ain't something funky? Right? So it's fine. But as, as was prayed earlier, may we carry each other's burdens. May we be doing this together. Because it doesn't matter how nice your teeth are. If, you don't, if nobody wants you to open your mouth, like, it doesn't matter about the other parts of the body. Okay? And this is the struggle that we are having in church communities. I'm happy being a toe, but I'm not going anywhere because my mouth or whatever other body part isn't synced up together. But we're okay just sticking to our one function. Do we have relationships that bear the weight of truth where I can tell you your pride is getting in the way? But am I maliciously telling you about the pride that is not allowing you to experience Christ? Because there's no humility in me if I'm doing that. We explore these relationships. We strive for these relationships where we want to sacrifice for each other. So that we might be able to make some headway in this idea that we can be a humble enough community to allow each other to experience things that I might not see or that you might not see, or that we might not see without you. Do I have too much pride to allow someone else to call me on it? There's a point, but there is a point to being the extensions of Christ's love and to journey with people and to grow with people and to build relationships based in love and humility because we know that God existing in community is the reason why we crave community. So I distinctly remember an experience when I was younger. I was getting ready uh, for a wedding I was the flower girl, and my mom and I went to go do a dress fitting. And on the same floor as the little girl dresses was the ladies' lounge, where you could go use the restroom or try on whatever X, Y, Z. 
And my mom was still looking through some of the accessories for, you know, the hats, the flower crowns, whatever. And I'm just waiting. So I'm watching the women come in and out with the different gowns and dresses that they're trying to, to try on. As, as my mom's continuing to shop over here, I watch a group of women come out. And I just look at them and I go, wow, they're beautiful. They're flowy dresses and they're just watching. And I'm just watching these women walk by. And as they get to like about here, and it's no longer just the front view, I notice something weird about the woman who's walking in the front. I'm like, why, why would she choose a dress like that? And then as she comes past a little more so I can see the actual behind of her body, I notice that her dress is tucked into her slip. And so her undergarments are visible because her dress that she had put back on just got a little tucked in. So I, as I'm watching, and I remember vividly as a seven-year-old, the women around her were walking so that they would cover it. And I started laughing. And so my mom goes, what are you laughing at? And I just pointed. And my mom goes, oh! And thank God for slips because I don't know what else I would have saw. But my mom goes, hey, excuse me, You're, you need to fix your dress. And all the ladies around go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then finally fix her up. Friends, I'm sad to say that I feel like oftentimes our community are the friends who try to cover it like we want to be friends. But we're not good enough friends. We don't have good enough relationships to say, hey, <laughs> let, me just, <laughs> let me just help you out. Or let me just let you know what's happening right now, right? Like, because those would not be my friends. If we're having a conversation and there is junk in my teeth, like, please tell me. Because when I go home and I look in the mirror, I'm like, you were not my friend. You weren't, right? This is the kind of authenticity that we want in our church spaces. And if you are satisfied with your friends not telling you about it, get some new friends. Come to our church. We're going to do it. I might say that now and later I'll be like, why did she tell me that? In December, Pastor Milton told us about the church in the Netherlands that had continuous um, worship happening so that they would be a sanctuary for a immigrant family um, so that they could not be taken by uh, any of the state officials. We have churches in the Midwest right now who are experiencing, you know, negative 20 degree weather and snowstorms who are opening their church communities so that homeless families and, and people who need to get out of absolutely unacceptable weather have a place to be. When we understand who we are, when we understand that only together we can do something meaningful, Things like that happen. When we encounter Jesus, are we in awe that we're a, potty, a part of the body? Because I know I am. I, I, I wake up every morning going, how the heck did anybody let you be a pastor? 2019 is the year that Bonita becomes biblically awakened. 2019 is the year that a new church for a new future is realized. We encounter Christ 
when we spend time in his word, when we understand why the prophecy has always led him, led us to him, when we understand that everything about this book is about God's desire to be with us. We hope that when you come into this space, you help us realize the reality that we can encounter God by interacting with God's people. That when we encounter Christ and when we spend time here, when worship is life, 2019 will be a turning of the ages, not only for this community, but for you. That is what it looks like for worship to be life. You have heard us share with you the experiences and the opportunities that we hope will move our community. Rooted was one of them what it means to have small group experience. And I know some of you have literally told me, I already have a small group. I don't need to do Rooted. But we need you. We need you to help us create that same magic that you have in our spaces so that a new church for a new future can be realized. Because if the only people in these groups are people who have never experienced small group, what, blind leading the blind. We need you. This is why it takes everyone. We call our weekly emails your worship and your community opportunities because we believe all of these things are not just events for you to go to, but they are opportunities to see God act in your life. We want you to bring your best in 2019. No more of these scraps and no more of these leftovers. So when you come here, if you're not happy to smile or greet one another or to be in the midst of God's people and to worship, then you need to ask yourself that question that our series has been challenging us. What is the point of church? And what is the role that you play in church? You say yes, and so now I am expecting things to be happening this year. And I love that. Because we sing in our first song this morning, yes, I will. Even when my heart is down and heavy, yes, I will. So whatever it looks like for you to bring your best, whatever it looks like for you to give Jesus a shot, that you might see salvation when you interact with God's people, that you might see a light for revelation to all Gentiles because that's us. We get to preach this messianic hope because of this. So in the next few weeks, as we continue learning about William Miller and the coming of what is Adventism and why we believe so excitedly about the sanctuary, it is because that's where the best happens. And so if they had it then, and our denominational brothers and sisters who helped us exist now had it then, Here's another bit of Adventism. Our present truth is it will be here now. So I invite you and I'll invite the worship team back up. Whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, let February 1 be a turning of the ages for you. Let your decision to be here in worship today be a turning of the ages for you. That because you have decided to be amongst God's people you will be blessed, and now it is your job to be a blessing. We invite you to partner with us this year, to be biblically awakened so that you are not blinded 
when you walk outside of these doors. So that when you interact with each other differently in this space, we can claim a new church for a new future. We love this space and we love what God is doing and we want you to love what God is doing. We want to see it though because we haven't really been lately. So we challenge you and we invite you and we hope that because you worship today, you get a turning of the ages in your experience of Christ. Amen. <laughs>